Every golfer knows that you don't aim for the sand traps. The sand traps are on the course to punish those golfers who don't hit the ball where it's supposed to go. Now, now good golfers can, can hit the ball out of the sand trap. I, unfortunately, am not a good golfer. It usually takes me four or five strokes to finally get out of the sand trap. And when I do finally hit it out of the sand trap, it goes all the way over the green to the sand trap on the other side of the green. And I go over there and I whack at it four or five times until somebody who's playing with me finally has mercy and says, just toss it out there on the green somewhere or we'll be here for the rest of our life. The Galatians were in danger of doing the same thing spiritually, of going from one spiritual sand trap to another spiritual sand trap. Paul warns them about both the trap of legalism and the trap of license. And neither of those is where we want to be as believers. We want to be right center in God's will. Paul sums up the reason why here in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 where he writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. This morning I hope all of us will have an extra knowledge today of how we can avoid some of those spiritual sand traps of life. The sand trap of legalism denies the freedom that we have in Jesus. Now last week, and actually over the last several weeks, we've been reading through this passage in Paul's letter to the Galatians where he identifies the error of some false teachers that were in the city of Galatia who were insisting that in order to be saved, in order to go to heaven, you had to not only receive Jesus as your Savior, but you also had to follow a long list of rules and regulations. And Paul has described that as stepping back into slavery. That's what we looked at last week in chapter 4, verse 9, where he says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? We're going to see how Paul warns about a twofold danger that faced the Galatians, the first of which is described here in verse 9. The Galatian believers, many of them, came out of a background of worshiping some of the false gods that were there in the Roman world, the Roman gods, the Greek gods. And now they had turned to the one true God. And Paul asked them, why would you ever want to go back to that same old idolatry where you found yourself before? And they might have looked at Paul and said, well, we're not back in idolatry. We're, we're still worshiping Jesus. But, but Paul says, wait a minute. You've just traded one idolatry for another. Because if you say that I'm going to accept Jesus as my Savior, and then I will make myself right with God through following all these rules and these regulations, you've created another God. You've essentially made yourself God. Because you're saying that what Jesus did on the cross is not sufficient. It wasn't enough for me. I've got to finish it out. I've got to do these things so that I can be saved. And Paul says, wait a minute, no. Jesus has done everything that needed to be done. He's paid the price in full. He restates that here in verse 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Paul describes the freedom of believers as a result of Christ's redemptive work. He says that we are free from the curse of the law. He said that back in Galatians chapter 3. He also talks about it in Romans chapter 8. He describes how it is from our inability to keep the law, we're not able to do what God requires. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Our freedom is won through nothing less than Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross. How could we want to deny that great sacrifice? Christ didn't die on the cross so that we could be enslaved again. He died on the cross to set us free. He paid a high price for our freedom. Why would we ever want to give that back? And yet that's exactly what the false teachers were attempting to get the Galatians to do. By claiming that they needed to do more than simply receive Christ. The false teachers were claiming that Jesus just didn't get it done on the cross. We've got to help Him out. Through our own abilities, through our own regulations. And by doing that, Paul says, we're just stepping right back into the same slavery that Jesus set us free from. It denies who we are in Christ. It denies what Jesus has done for us. It'd be like, my, like me going into the hospital saying, uh, I'm here today for some, some back surgery. And they, they open up their, their uh, little schedule there. And they say, well, well, sir, what is your name? You're the patient. We, we don't see you here. And I tell them, oh, I tell them my name. And they, they look there and they say, well, you're not listed here. Who's the doctor? And I say, well, I'm the doctor. And I say, wait a minute, you said you were the patient. I said, yeah, I'm also the patient. I'm, I'm going to be doing back surgery on myself today. <laughs> and they're saying, no, sir, that's not how it works. That's not only physically impossible, it's crazy. Nobody would do surgery, especially back surgery, on themselves. You can't do that. Legalism is like trying to do spiritual back surgery on yourself. As complicated as back surgery is, this is actually worse. Nothing compares to what Jesus did for us on the cross. We can't even come close. And it's the truth we have to understand. We cannot save ourselves. If we came up with some arbitrary set of rules, which is what the false teachers in Galatia had done, they wouldn't even be able to keep those arbitrary set of rules. They'd mess one up somewhere along the way. But even the rules themselves fell short. That's why the Bible puts it as plain as day, all of sin, and fall short of the glory of God. You see, the goal is not to be good enough for God. The goal is the glory of God. And none of us measures up to that. No matter what we might do, we could never attain what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. And so the Bible warns us, don't fall into that trap of, of legalism, of thinking you've got to add something to the cross in order to be saved. Jesus has already done it all. He's already set you free. 
But there was another trap. A trap that Paul identifies as license that denies the power of what Jesus has done in our life. Paul describes the danger here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Apparently there was another false teaching that was floating around in Galatia and other areas of the New Testament day. It went something like this. It said, If you have received Christ as your Savior, then you know that He has forgiven all of your sins. And if Jesus has forgiven all of your sin, then it really doesn't matter what you do. You can just sin all you want because Jesus has already forgiven all of it. I didn't say it was a reasonable teaching, but that's basically the way that it went. And there were those that were falling into that trap who were thinking, well, since I'm forgiven, I can just do anything that I want. There were even those who said, the more that I sin, the more grace I will receive. And, and Paul puts a stop to that type of thinking. He says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Instead, we should realize what it is that Jesus has done for us. He has set us free. Paul writes there in verse 1 of chapter 5 in Galatians, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Paul encourages the Galatian believers to stand firm in what they already knew in Christ. Because some of them were in danger of slipping back into their old ways of life. Paul uses a statement there translated as stand firm. It's very similar to the phrase that we use in English to dig in your heels. Legalism denied the freedom that they had in Christ. License perverted the freedom that they had in Christ. Paul says don't make either mistake. Dig in your heels right in the center of God's will. Jesus saved you out of the mud. Don't jump back into it again. When my cousins and I would play at my granddad's farm, sometimes we'd go out onto the cow pasture and we'd run around and play chase, different things. And on occasion, you would hear one of my cousins make exactly the same sound. It would always be the same. Every time, they would make a sound that went something like this. They would say, And when that happened, we knew exactly what it was. They had stepped in something in the cow pasture that nobody wanted to step in. And that sound would mean three things to the rest of us. First of all, it would mean that we would all be a little more careful about where we were stepping. We would look a little more closely at the ground before we took another step. Second, it means we would be really careful not to step where they just stepped. And third, it would mean that we would all laugh with abandon because it was really funny. But after laughing, we would do steps one and two. We would be extremely careful about where we would step because no one wanted to make that sound themselves. Nobody would knowingly want to step in the wrong place in the cow pasture. But Paul says that's exactly what we do spiritually as believers when we step back into our old ways of life. 
For the Galatians, it was the danger of worshiping idols. For us, it might be the danger of focusing on material things. It might be making decisions based on the world's morality rather than upon the Word of God. It might be deciding that our plan for our life is better than God's plan for our life. But it all makes the same squish when you step in it. The Bible warns us to watch how we walk. To avoid falling back into the same slavery that Christ died on the cross to set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now Paul warns about these two sand traps for two very, really important reasons. First of all, God doesn't want us to suffer through that. He doesn't want us to suffer through the pain and agony of legalism. He doesn't want us to go back into the mess that he just delivered us from. He knows that neither of those is his plan for our life. And he loves us too much to want us to be in either one of those. And so he warns us about those. He says, don't do that. That's not the best that I have for you. He wants you to have the very best for your life. And so he warns us to stay out of those traps. But there's another reason why God warns us about those two traps. Because... If our focus is on following the rules, doing the regulations, making sure that we make ourselves presentable to God, which we could never do, which is impossible, and so we'll always be feeling unworthy, we'll always be feeling uh, guilty about everything that we do, that's one area where our focus might be. Or if our focus is on this world and, and going for the pleasures of this world and doing the things that God's already told us, hey, you get your life messed up in that, that's not where you want to be. If we find ourselves trapped in either one of those, if our focus is in either one of those, then our focus is not on telling that person in our life that needs Jesus about how they can be saved. Because when our focus is on either one of those two traps, we lose sight of the need of those around us for the gospel. We lose sight of the importance of our sharing our faith with our family and with our friends. And so God says, don't get caught up in those two traps. Stay firm in your faith and what you know in Jesus. And we want to help you do that. Uh, we've been talking several weeks about our emphasis for October. Uh, who's your one? Well, today's the kickoff for that. This week, October 1 comes. And on October 1, we're going to start 30 days of praying for those people in our life that don't know the Savior. Every one of us knows somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Or maybe you're just not sure what their relationship with the Lord is. I hope you've been praying about that over these last few weeks. Who's somebody in your life that... that uh, doesn't know the Lord, who's somebody that God could use you in their life. This week, back in the back, as you go out the, the back door here, you'll see a table that has some of these books. They're prayer guides. They're entitled simply, Who's Your One? You, I, I encourage you to pick one of those up on your way out today. Just grab one of those, take them home with you. You'll start using it this week on October 1. Each day, for 30 days, it has a prayer for you to pray about that person in your life. Just to lift it up to the Lord. And that's what the challenge is. That, that's all it is. It's just to lift these folks up in prayer for 30 days and see what God will do. Pick up one of those prayer guides. Or if you're, you're kind of a technology junkie and really like...
technology stuff. If you're using the Uversion app that we have uh, here, uh, you can just go to that. Uh, today's uh, National Heights version on there. If you skip down to the announcements, there are some links, one of which will take you to this prayer guide where you can have it right on your phone. You can just take it with you everywhere you go. So you'll have it right there that you can use handy with the verses and, and the prayers that you'll be praying through. Also out here on the table, there's a Bible marker. has a verse for each day and a place for you to write down the name of your one. encourage you to pick one of those up too. God's led me to the one that I'm going to be praying for. Uh, this individual doesn't know the Lord. They've made that very, very clear. And they've also made very, very clear that they don't really have any interest in knowing the Lord. And I don't know how the Lord's going to work all that out. Uh, from my human perspective, that seems impossible. I just I don't know how that's going to work. But God's laid him on my heart, so I'm going to be praying for him for 30 days. Be lifting him to the Father, saying, Lord, this fellow needs you. He's blinded by the world. He's blinded by some other stuff. But more than anything, he needs your love in his life. And God, if there's any way that I can point him to you, God, use me. I'm excited to see how God's going to answer that prayer. I hope you will be too. I hope you'll find someone in your life that can be your one that you can pray for for the next 30 days starting October 1. October 27th, it's the last Sunday in October, is one Sunday here at National Heights. And that's a date that we're going to encourage you, and you'll hear more about that through the month. We'll encourage you just to invite your one to come to church with you that day. Just come to worship with you, and we'll see what God can do. I'm excited about how God's going to use uh, this time in the life of our church as we seek to allow him to use us to change the lives of our family and friends.